actress Katherine Heigl, a passionate animal advocate who has saved over 16,000 dogs, says she's been seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. She believes there's a link between canine health and diet. After extensive research, she developed Superfood Complete, a dog food pack with over 30 wholesome ingredients, including superfoods beneficial for your furry friend. Superfood Complete isn't just about deliciousness, though dogs love the taste. It's about supporting overall well-being. In addition to providing a healthy option for your pet, Badlands Ranch, the maker of Superfood Complete, also supports the Jason DeBus Heigl Foundation, which helps rescue countless dogs and find them loving homes. Dogs across America are trying this food and loving it. Go to BadlandsRanch.com MC901 and order right now to get up to 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to BADLANDSRanch.com slash MC911 today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. From Nashville, Tennessee, welcome to Music City 911. I'm Rick Beasley, Nashville Communications Officer, retired with 40 years of experience. And I'm Brandon Hall with 20 and still going. All right. With the rolling out of this episode, we've now completed two months with you guys, and it has indeed been an action-packed and fun ride. So, to celebrate, we have yet another guest joining Brandon and I for the really big shoe. We welcome retired Metro Nashville Police Department Field Training Officer Tim Elvis Sullivan. Man, that's a mouthful. <laughs> How are you, good brother? I'm doing good. Thank you very much. Well thank, well, thank you very much. Listen, this fine fellow and I, we go back a long ways. Uh, he was a police officer in the field while I was, as a matter of fact, while Brandon and I were on the other side of the radio sending him on crazy calls. Now, the Elvis part needs a little explanation. As an example, before we had computers in the car, uh, he would ask me to run a license plate for him, and when I gave it back to him, he'd say, Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he would. And before long, he'd do something for me, and then I'd say, Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you very much. And and this went on the whole time that we were together. He even did it to the uh, other officers on the air. He had his hair combed back back <laughs> during the day, and he even kind of favored the king. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, tell the folks about your experience at the police department when you came on, etc. I came on in session fifteen at the National Metro Police Department. Um, the big fifteen, nineteen eighty eighty six. And I spent just over 26 years in patrol as a training officer. Wow. Now, were you in patrol the whole time that you worked for the police department? Yes, I was. I I enjoyed training officers, so I chose to stay in that particular line of business my whole career. All right. And when you and I had talked earlier, 
you worked every precinct except one. Yeah, pretty much. I I never worked north. Uh, back in the old days, we only had three precincts, mm-hmm. and uh, never never did work the east uh, or the north precinct. But I had an opportunity to work the rest of them. Wow. How many rookies do you reckon that you were responsible for training over the time that you was a field training officer? Oh, I lost count after about 50 because sometimes they would put them in my car for a, a, a month or sometimes two months or uh, back in my car to retrain for some crazy reason, but uh, so probably somewhere around 50-plus over the years. Wow. Was there a reason why you wanted to be a field training officer rather than just go ahead and do the patrol in the car by yourself? Well, it's exciting to take take a person and mold that person out of the academy and teach them how to apply the law uh, out on the street because it's a different ball game. And, you know, I, my, my mindset was if I could help one officer save somebody or themselves, then I would have succeeded. You became a part of that. That's right. All right. Now, on a more serious note, we know your dad passed away recently, and we both were really sorry to hear about that when we did. It was amazing to me how much he was able to accomplish in his life. Tell all of us about your pa. Well, dad uh, went uh, fought in Korea, and mm-hmm. on the way home from Korea, he got invited to uh, join the FBI in Washington, D.C. when he got off the boat on the East Coast, and that's where he stayed for a couple of years. And uh, Memphis Police Department was looking for an investigator, and he took a train to Memphis, uh, being from Aberdeen, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. He was wanting to be real close to his mom and dad and his family, so he decided to take an investigator's job in Memphis in the early 50s, and uh, that's where he stayed for 26 years with the Memphis City Police Department as an investigator, a lieutenant, and then he uh, retired for three or four weeks and got bored and ended up going to the Shelby County Sheriff's Department for another 20 years doing the same thing. Wow. 46 years in law enforcement. Sure was. Now, was there a reason, because most people listening are going to think, man, you've already reached the the top echelon. I mean, the FBI, for God's sake, in Washington, D.C. Why in the world would you want to go back and do small-town police work or, or Memphis police work, or, or anything other than where you were at the top? Well, he didn't like D.C. He thought it was real political. He wanted to get back down toward where he grew up and uh, start a family down there. And that's actually where he met my mom, was in Memphis. She was a dispatcher. Wow. And, and that's I where he met that. my mom. So um, she manned the phones for the ambulance and the police department. When the phones were on a pole, he had to call in and check see if they had any uh, – homicide situations and she would tell him where to go and he would go to that location that's how they communicated wow so he asked her out over that pole phone one day they went out and got married shortly thereafter so if it hadn't been for that you might not even be here talking to us right now no no well let, let let's go back a little bit because as as is the case in a lot of police family situations it was usually grandpa or it was pa that has an effect on the on the younger ones to where they want to get into police work. Uh, did that apply in your case here? Yeah, I had three older brothers. I don't think they ever really uh, 
thought about becoming a police officer. I know I did. Uh, I used to look at my dad's uh, files and case files. I would sneak them out of his briefcase and look at them, even though I wasn't supposed to at 10, 11 years old. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was enamored with what he did for a living, uh, investigating homicides. That, that was the coolest thing in the world for me, to read his case files. And then to sit down at a young age and talk to him about those cases was just phenomenal. Because I'm sitting there thinking, I'm getting it firsthand from the guy investigating it. Yeah. And then at night, when you turn the news on, you know, your dad's on TV is. being an investigator in this case. And it's like, man, my dad's a hero. You know, he's he's locking these guys up. It doesn't get any cooler than no, that. No, you can't get any better than that. And that's, and you know, dad treated people just, uh, he just exemplified a love for people uh, in the city of Memphis. And they all knew him. Everybody in the city knew him, knew who he was, and knew he was tough but they knew he was fair. And I loved that about my dad. I remember going to a show and tell one time. I didn't take anything. And they said, what is your show and tell? I said, I want to talk about my dad. He's my hero. You know, in a time where Superman or Spider-Man or somebody else could have been another little boy or girl's hero, my hero was always my dad. And that's what made me want to become a police officer. I wanted to be like him. And that's, that's what got me into it. Tell us about the fellow that lived, I believe it was in Arkansas. No, it was, it was in Memphis, was it just Memphis? outside okay. of Memphis, yeah. And, and he just kind of took care of him. Yeah, this, this older fellow lived way out in the woods, a place called Shelby Forest. And uh, Dad used to go out there and would come back in about an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And as I got older, I, I asked him one time, I said, can I go? He said, yeah, so... Dad took a plate of food wrapped in aluminum foil, and I said, what's that? And he said, well, come on, I'll, ch I'll, I'll show you. And we went way deep in the forest in this old shack, and we walked in, and this man was in there, and, and uh, he had nobody to care for him, nobody to help him get food, and uh, Dad took care of him. He was an alcoholic, and Dad took him food three, four, sometimes five times a week. My mom would cook that man a dinner, and Dad took it out there, and I went with him. And I just saw how how uh, generous he was to people and how uh, compassionate he was to this man. And I thought, boy, if I could ever get on a police department and exemplify that, man, that, that would be the best thing in the world to do. And that's that's what I did. And, and the thing is, a lot of the people listening tonight, they have no idea that, that goes on that there is another side of police work it's not just about locking people up or exactly. writing people tickets you know there's a lot of charitable things that go on uh, a lot of officers out there is helping people that that that's not going to have a christmas and that's they're right. going to make that's sure right. that there's toys up underneath that tree for them when they get up the next day and and i'm sure that 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 fellow that your dad helped helped wasn't the only fellow no, he wasn't the only one. There was many, many that they had helped. Some of them knocked on our door. Now, other than your dad in police work, and he retired, what, as a lieutenant? A lieutenant. Right, 46 years of service. Was your, no, did you have other family members that were in the police department as well, law my, enforcement? My daddy's daddy uh, in Amory, Mississippi, uh, the story goes that he was the postal uh, worker. He was a, a barbershop guy and a police officer. Uh, there in the little town of Amory, Mississippi. 
Angry uh, Mississippi. Amory. 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 <laughs> I was about to say, there's a lot of mad people down there. It was, probably there. was angry at one time. <laughs> but even he, I think the, the stories I've been told all the years that even his father was a, uh, we, we call them ridge runners up between North and South Carolina mm-hmm. for many, many years uh, on horseback. And uh, so it goes, you know, the stories that you hear, I even got an aunt right now, she's 100, and she can still tell you stories about uh, my grandfather being in law enforcement in, in Amory, Mississippi. So it, it goes way back, way, way back. You touched on your dad's military experience earlier. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, dad Dad served his time in Korea. Um, he had originally joined the Navy, and on the way to Korea, uh, they promoted him to the Army. And uh, he became a, wow. uh, a soldier, and uh, he was a re- in a recon division. And uh, dad fought in uh, the May Massacre, Bloody Ridge, and Heartbreak Ridge, three of the bloodiest battles in Korea. And it was just a miracle that he made it home. Uh, he was awarded three bronze stars. Um, he also got several citations from the United Nations at that time. Uh, but that was uh, upon his uh, death and researching his military service, we had no idea that he had received three bronze stars. Man. And, uh, for heroism, when you read on his DD Form 214, it says out to the side for heroism on all three counts. And Daddy never mentioned it, never said a word about it. Uh, and I, I think that really sparked some interest in the military with myself because I joined the military. Uh, I've got a nephew that's a Navy SEAL, and I've got a son who is in the Army, and he's a tank commander. And uh, they are just very um, patriotic. They They really think a lot about my dad and his service and they wanted to carry that forward in my family and that's what they've done it it is simply just unbelievable how many years was it that he was in the in the military he was just over two wow so altogether his dedication to service of the people and to his country 48 years 40 47 and a half 48 years yeah wow that's incredible we we really appreciate the service that your whole family thank you and including yourself and your dad has has given to the country has given to people working for the police department uh just just thank you man and thank y'all for keeping us safe it's been an honor brandon what have you got up next all right, we're going to jump right into some calls here then. Uh, we got a couple really good ones tonight. All right. Um, the first one we're going to get into is the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, their parade that they had. A lot of people don't know that this happened, um, but they actually had a car break through one of the barriers, and they had a pursuit right down the parade route. And we've got some of the audio from the, the radio transmission of the police chasing this guy. And it's it's pretty hot. I'm telling you, there's video out there too. Uh, it's all over the place. Y'all wanted to look at it, uh, but it's it's pretty surprising. You watch on the video all these people that are there. I mean, literally, probably hundreds of thousands of people lying in the street total all together. And this guy's just he's running from the police, and they've got the stop sticks out, the whole deal. They're really rolling into it. So let's get straight into this. And uh, I'm glad Tim's here, so he can give kind of a police perspective on this. We we got the dispatch in. He's got the police in. It's 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 gonna be good. Absolutely, sounds good. 
Tack one, we just had a car bust through the route at staging. It's uh, southbound. If we can, pass the first part of the route, see if they can get sticks up. They got something running through the route northbound. Should be the river market. Yep, 690 is coming up on uh, Independence Avenue here on Grant. Getting ready to go over I-70. Great vehicle. Alright, they're over I-70. Uh, currently stopped for a moment. Hope they're backing up, guys. Watch the crossfire if there is any. They're going to reverse on the bridge. We have reached on ten patch down on the north side of the bridge, guys. Hey, we got information there could be a kid in the back seat. Just backed into one of our patrol cars. It's northbound across the bridge on Grand. It sticks up to the north, guys. Or I'm sorry, to the south. Going over Admiral. Black male driver, black female passing your rear seat. All the tires are flat. All the tires are flat. Is he pursuing his vehicle? Yes, there's a lot of police cars following it. They hit stop six three times, all tires are flat. 1280, just be advised that there is a female passenger in the rear that's placing her hands up in the air. 700, if we have those semis still down on the route, use them to block the route. Down around 18th or so to block this, probably good. 17th coming up on 18th as we speak. Series uh, 6 were thrown there, watch those guys, and still southbound on Grand. Good, let's get some police cars to block pads over there. 20th, we've got a bunch of pedestrians down here, there's no clear path, we need to get this stopped. It's Pershing, there are pedestrians on all sides. If we could box it in, I would say with maybe the time. Cruiser 1 permission that anyone needs to take that car, I'll take it out. It's done, sir. Command 10 has vehicles across the route. All right, westbound on Pershing, headed towards the crowd. All right, TBI, TBI. Guys, if we can get a car behind it, I know we got to watch crossfire, but let's not let it out of there. Is still stationary at this point. We're in between Main and Grand on Pershing here. Let us know when they're in custody, please. Well, yet they're still working on it. Be advised, the barrier that they crashed through has been reestablished, so we're good again. More from inside to come outside to maintain the uh, barricade until these guys can get back. CP, expedite tows for me. Give me uh, one city tow and two department tows. So at the very end of this call, they th this this vehicle it it nearly runs into a enormous crowd of people. Um, if you watch the video of it, the the crowd that's lining the streets as they're going through, I mean, it's a lot of people. It's probably thousands of people that are on the parade route as they are uh, where they're going down through anyway. At the very end, right uh, when they're actually saying, you know, we've got to stop these people. There's there's no way to go past this. At the end, there's probably, I wouldn't be surprised if there's 50 or 60,000 people all huddled together right there at the, the very end of the street and then up into a, a yard of some sort that's, you know, right there downtown. But it's amazing they got them stopped when they did. I'm, I'm glad they did because uh, if they would have kept on going, they could have hit probably hundreds of people, if not thousands, if they kept up at full speed going, you know, the 60-plus miles an hour they were going down through these streets. Now, Bees, you got a little bit more on the the – 
you know, story on the suspect in and everything, don't you? Well, two people were initially taken into custody on this one. The driver was an impaired idiot who was taking a joyride. He is 42-year-old Ade J. Doyle, who has been charged with resisting arrest, position, uh, possession rather of a controlled substance, and misdemeanor DUI. Now, the goofball had told police the last thing he remembered was getting high and didn't even recall driving through the parade route. Preliminary toxicology results tested positive for amphetamines and cocaine. Now, imagine that. The passenger who had her hands up during this event uh, ended up being released. Now, as Brandon said, uh, there were people all along this parade route and anywhere these people could have been killed. So I'm glad that our guests here tonight to kind of give us a, a police perspective on this because, you know, when we're up there in the radio room, we don't know what's going on. I mean, other than what we're hearing, we're we're completely blind up there. We're going on the callers. We're going on the radio traffic. That's all we got. So from the street perspective of it, what, what would you take away from this? Well, from the onset of the call, when he first broke through the first barrier as a street officer down on the parade route, with everything that's been going on in the country, the first thing that you would think in your mind is we got a terrorist situation on our hands. Oh, yeah. We've got thousands happened. of people on the parade route. Now we've got a car speeding down through the parade route. And as a patrolman or an officer on the street, whether you're a patrolman or a detective working, working the parade, uh, there's a million things going through your mind. One, you've got to get this guy in custody. And you got to protect, If like the dispatcher said, they got word that there was a child in the car. So now you've got that hanging over your head, and you've got thousands of people that possibly are in harm's way. So what are you going to do to stop this car without hurting or killing somebody on the parade route? Um, and it started, uh, you know, this thing got real intense. And I looking at the video and looking at the officers there, they kept their cool. You never heard anybody on the radio get overly excited. They were doing their job. They were doing everything they could possibly do to preserve life, and they did it, and they did it well. Uh, I think he got a little far into the parade route, but it's easy for me to armchair this thing, you know, mm -hmm. way after the fact and, and do an analysis on it. But they stopped him. That's the main thing. They did stop the suspect. Nobody got hurt, and he got arrested. So when it all goes good, they did everything right. Good. Of course – you know yourself from being in the field, the longer this goes on, and that's where the caution comes in, the more of a propensity that there is exactly. for something bad happening. It sure is. So you're always wanting to, to, to get it stopped when you can and as quickly as you can. Yeah, I was I was kind of surprised that when the first officer said, we've got one that just broke through the barricade, that uh, they didn't stop it early on. But I wasn't there. I don't know. Um, how fast the guy was going, it's hard to tell in the video. But there again, nobody got hurt, and they got the car stopped. So that's what we have to go on. Yeah, the type of barricades they use at different places. And now I think since they had something similar to that happen up in New York, anytime they have, they put, I'm wanting to say they put trash trucks out there to block the route. And if they I, don't have those, or it's a concrete barrier or something that's more permanent that you can't just bust through. Ice trucks, garbage trucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And from what they were saying here on the, the dispatch end, uh, and that plus the uh, the officers down the street, they said something about having semis down at some point in it. 
in the video, I couldn't see any semi trucks lined up, but, um, you know, that's, that's also just something you can pull across to, to stop somebody from running into a crowd like that. Well, one point that I had noticed is there were several agencies that were involved in trying to get him stopped. The fact that those agencies worked together as well as they did with each other is just commendable. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, we, we often have things like that in Nashville where we have different agencies get involved, and when everybody's on the same page, it works. Well, there was one point on there where you can hear uh, one of the sound like one of the supervisors say, "Take it out, take it out, get, right. get the car," because they could see that he was headed toward that that mass of people down at the end. The other side of it is, as a patrolman, I'm sure what's going through your mind is, "Okay, I've I've got that that as a as a possibility, but if I do that, am I going to hit the other person in the car?" Am I going to hit, you know, a, a stray passenger over here? There's a lot of other things that go into play rather than just shoot him and take him out. Yeah, you, you just can't, in a situation like that, you can't just take a gun and start blazing. Uh, there's kids, there's babies, there's mamas and daddies on the side of the road, and you're responsible for that bullet when it leaves a gun. Yeah. And I think those guys did a commendable job in getting him stopped. I would have liked to seen him get stopped earlier. But it didn't happen. But we're back here again. He got stopped without little, if anybody, getting injured. Well, it's just like I've said before here. Every bullet that comes out of a gun has a lawyer's name on it. That's right. Sure does. And they had already said at one point uh, in the tape that every tire on that car was flat. So I'm sure that some of the thinking was that, okay, well, the tires are flat. So that, that buys us just a little bit of time where we may have something else we can do rather than have to use deadly force and go that end. Yeah, it sure did. And uh, it looks like in the video several people deployed spike strips and got him from time to time. And, and it did slow him down. It did give him some time to make some decisions. But there again, when you're down on the street, you're making some split-second decisions that could stay with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's the same way in the in the radio room too. I mean, if you're taking your calls like that, and I mean, you don't know what's happening, you pick up the phone, and you know that's that's one advantage, I guess, for the police. Sometimes, not every time, but you at least kind of know what you're going into. We pick up the phone up there at work, and it be a you know simple alarm call one one second, and then the next thing you're giving CPR to somebody, and the second after that you got a bank robbery, whatever like that. You don't. You pick up the phone, you don't know what's going to come in next. Well, there's been times before where we've been sitting there between the two of us, and it's the same way in the field, you know, where you've got an officer, you know, sitting in his car beside your car, and y'all are just sitting there, you know, bantering off of each other, telling jokes and all that kind of thing. And then the phone will ring. I'll pick it up. Of course, I've been laughing at at some joke that he's just told me, and all of a sudden this guy says, uh, I don't want to live anymore. I feel like blowing my brains out. Give me a real good reason why I shouldn't right now. And he's got the gun to his head. Now you're talking about having to have to put a car back, you know, back in, you know, in drive again after it's been in reverse and you've ran down in this ditch. Man, I mean, you've got to to get your head back on real quick because anything you say may be just enough to where the next thing you hear on that phone is bang where he's just killed himself. That's right. And that, that, that comes to play with dispatchers out on the street uh, going on calls. You know, as a, as a patrolman, 
that dispatcher has to have a calm and cool collected thought process on the other end of that console uh, because they can determine a lot about how that officer is going to handle that scene uh, on the way to that call and once he gets to that call. If that dispatcher is excited and throwing out a lot of excitement and there's a lot of things going on there, that officer's adrenaline starts pumping really quick before he ever gets on the scene. So it's always good to have that calm and cool Rick Beasley attitude on the other end of that console. <laughs> and, and Brandon, uh, both of these guys uh, dispatched me calls for many, many years, and, and it was uh, relieving to know that I had a guy up there on the other side of that console that, that was calm, that that's a person I'm going to talk to. They knew me, and the reason why they knew me, they would come out in the field and get to know us as police officers. They knew our demeanor. Mm -hmm. They knew our mentality. They knew what we liked. They knew our wives, our kids. They knew everything about us. So when they're sitting up on that dispatch table, they know how we interact with the general public. They know what makes us excited. They know what calms us down. And and that is just impeccable service as a police officer when you got that kind of dispatcher putting out calls. Well, what I try to do, and all of you communications officers that's listening to us tonight, you, you know what I'm saying is true. The person on that side of the radio sets the tone. If if you get a dispatcher up there that that's having a bad night, just hates everybody on the other side of that radio, pretty soon then you hear the officers, they start being short, they start being funky. I mean, a negative attitude goes right across that radio and it'll come right back to you from them. So when you start going crazy and you start yelling and screaming and losing your mind, then that's exactly what's going to happen out there in the field because it's just like negativity inside of a communication center. Once it starts, it's just like a cancer. I mean, it will absolutely just, just fill that place. Uh, the other thing that I tried to do uh, for my brothers and sisters in the field, and, and Brandon would tell you the same thing, is we tried to be the invisible partner in your car. We wanted to, to be able to get you the information that we would want to know if we was in that car with you. And your one-man car with that communications officer up there in that center became your second partner. You actually were a two-man car because you had us in the car with you. That's right. And, and that, that played a big, big role in being successful out in the field because if you know you're getting everything that you can possibly know from that dispatcher about that call, on the way to that call, you can start forming uh, a, a plan of action. Where are you going to park? Uh, do you need to wait on backup? Is this thing starting to escalate? And that dispatcher plays a big role in that. If they gather all the information they possibly can, generally 99% of the time, that call is going to end up successful, whether it's in a, an arrest or it's just talking to somebody at the scene and, and everybody goes home safe. But that dispatcher has a major, major role in that officer's attitude. Yeah. And, and it's definitely not a case of it's us against them or no. them against us. You know, we work together for an end result. To do anything other than that 
is going to create a, a, a catastrophe. Yeah, and that's, that's what I was going to say is that, you know, we were talking about you were uh, FTO for the most of the time you were there. Um, I, for 10 years, I was a, a trainer up there at work, and a lot, I mean, most of those times you didn't hear me on the radio. I was training people to do it, you know, or, or on the phones. And that was one of the things I always kind of hit in with them is the fact that uh, you have to get all this information, get as much information as you can, and, but then at the same time you have to crunch that up and make it to where it's it's readable from a you know going out say like on an all airs uh, perspective say you got a real hot call you say you got something like let's say a bank robbery or something like that you want to get the the suspect if he was armed you know which way he went did he get in a car all that information you want to get get that stuff and you want to form it into a small very small and readable paragraph to where they can put it out on the air and actually put it out and and make it to where it's understandable and helpful to you you know because some people will get on there and they will just write and write and write and they'll have a they'll have a book written about all this. and it's great you know but I, I always told my, my trainees i said you're not writing the report you know it, it's not you that's going to write the police report the police officer is going to do that all you got to do is you got to get them there get them there safe and if they pass the suspect on the way there have enough info to where they can actually pick that guy up there's something along that lines well, so, well, not everything's a federal production. No, it's not. Yeah, so it's it's just one of those things where you have to you get as much info on the front end from the caller that you can, and then you have to compile everything down and make it to where it's you know readable on the air and very very understandable. That way, it will help you on the way there. Well, now, well that's one thing about this Kansas City parade incident. You did not hear the dispatcher come on line. Very excited with excited delirium yeah. over what's going on. They stayed quiet. They let these men and women down on the street do their job. And that's one thing I liked about it. May have been there. We don't hear it. We just don't hear it. And uh, you don't see it in the video. And the guys were just doing their job. Yeah, I think the yeah. dispatch uh, was limited on that one to um, pretty much, I, I would imagine, kind of behind-the-scenes type stuff, getting all – I would imagine that, you know, if, if they work it like we do up there, we'll have a command channel set up for them and everything like that. And sure. We'll have a separate dispatcher. That dispatcher's probably listening and then yelling over to the, the regular dispatch for that sector and getting all the info passed back and forth the whole time while listening. And if they need additional units out that, that way, get them started. And they're probably having a big talk about it on the regular radio, getting more units started because the start of this thing, it looked like there might have been one or two cars. Right. By the end of it, there was, I mean, I the whole know, department was yeah, up about behind the, whole, the guy. <laughs> yeah, they were going to get this guy one way or another. But, uh, yeah, for, for the dispatchers, you know, on, on that, I think the only time she really jumped in is when they might have got a report of a baby in the car, which ended up, I guess, being the, the second person that had her hands up. It yeah, and that's, that's good information to have. Yeah. Well, you, you were talking about uh, training people on the telephone as these calls came in. Now, let me direct this to you. Did you have officers out there that you, when they first came out into the field with you, uh, that you had to rein in because what what their definition of a police officer was to them and what your definition was from being in the field all those years, it, you had no, 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 and, and, and had, to, had to deal with that. Oh, sure. They, they always wanted to answer the radio and be excited. They, they thought a... a a 1042, which is a, a intoxicated person, uh, was a felony call. 
and and you would have to say, well, wait a minute now, this guy's just been drinking a little bit, you know, he he didn't rob a bank, and and yeah, you would have to pull him back, sometimes keep him off the radio. Uh, one thing uh, I, I used to have to tell him is the first day they would drive, we would get a, a mediocre call. It's it wasn't a pressing call, but they wanted to run code three, and and they would. Uh, turned all the blue lights and siren on, and the first thing they did <laughs> is mash that gas to the floor and throw a policy out the window. And I say, oh, well, wait a minute now. you got to hold back. got to hold back. <laughs> got to reel and, it in. And you got to reel it in. But, yeah, generally most, most all of them, to some degree on some aspect of the training, you have to reel them in and say, hey, no, you, you can't do that. You know, that's going a little bit overboard. Do it like this. You know, and, and, and you just talk to them. And generally, they never do it again. One of the things that used to drive me nuts, and I know it did you when you was on the radio and from, from the field end, I know it had to, uh, all of you guys. You'd get somebody that'd get in pursuit, and, and you'd think that they were chasing somebody that killed 25 people. It was just, and you hear, where they're turning on two wheels and they're flying down the street and you're thinking, my God. And pretty soon you've got everybody doing it. You've got everybody screaming and hollering. Then the other side of that is I'd hear somebody that'd say, I'm in pursuit of a, and they'd lay out the car description perfect. You'd hear where they were turning the, you know, turning the corners, but everything was just as calm and collective as if they were on a road going, you know, down down the street on a spring day. And those were the most wonderful pursuits there ever was. And then, well, we've got him stopped here at so-and-so and so-and-so. And you knew to not say anything for about, you know, 30 seconds to a That's minute. Right. Yeah. There was going to be silence because somebody was getting tuned up really bad when they jerked him out of that car. Somebody's going to jail. Yeah, <laughs> and may go to the hospital before they go to jail. Yeah, that's old days. I think. Yeah, old no, days. you can't do that anymore. No. All right, now before we all get run into jail, uh, probably need to get on this next call and see if we can get that one laid down. Oh yeah, uh, this one's out of Philadelphia. Um, it was a big gunfight on a drug raid. Um, we'll give you some more details after it. Uh, from the dispatch in, we've told you before, we just, we don't ever know what we're going to get when we're going to get it. It just pops up. I'm not sure the details on the front end of this, uh, other than it was a drug raid. But one of the things about it is that if, you know, generally with us up there dispatch, a lot of times they'll have a drug raid. They may never tell us about it. They don't, they don't tell us at the front end, they're going to do this. They're going to be at the most, they may say it'll, it'll be one unit and they say, uh, me and some few other units will be out of this address, you know, serving a warrant or whatever like that. Sometimes they don't even do that. So th- we don't know if th- that's the way this one went or not, but, uh, this one, it just, it goes from zero to a hundred and about a half a second. So we'll uh, get straight into it. 
multiple shots fired. Outside, two home runs on location, 37, 16, North 15th Street. Front, inside, and rear radio. All right, units, be advised, there's shots. They have all officers in the front of the house. Back up. So, radio, just be advised, multiple units on location, still shots fired inside and rear. I want no further plainclothes officers responding to this location. Uniform only. All right, uniform only. Oh, if you can raise Isaac 9, tell him if he gets to the scene before I do, uh, do all protocols at his discretion. Everybody watches crossfire, crossfire. There are officers in the alleyway in the house. As all the outside officers use caution. Also be advised, you have police in the rear. All right, car stand by from Nathan 101 with a priority shot fired. He says stay clear. Shots are still being fired, crossfire. Units, use caution, please. On Charlie or any strike force supervisors responding to this location, go to the hospital and check on my officers. One, possibly two. First officer shot in the low extremity. Unknown, unknown in reference to that second officer radio. Give me strike force supervisor to get over the temple. Louis, too. I'll take the hospital for you, Doug. I have the one officer here at Temple. I do have a uh, strike force supervisor here with us. There are officers in the house. Watch shooting. Cars stand by. There are cops in the alleyway and the house. Use caution. All right, cars stand by. I have Nathan 101 saying the state there's shots being fired. Nathan 121 is still in the house, is in the house with another officer. Use caution. Hey, Belinda, you say, Brady, I got one long gun out front. I'm trying to move most of the officers, non-SWAT personnel, fall back. Let these SWAT boys get in here. I'm confirmed if I have officers still trapped inside location radio. Nathan 121, are you still? We are pinned down on the second floor with three individuals handcuffed. You can hear the mail downstairs moving in the sky, first floor. Reload. Nathan 100, hey, Andy, they are pinned downstairs, and they have two males, three males handcuffed at that time. Relay that to incoming SWAT personnel. Officers inside location, two to three multiple offenders in custody inside the location. My officers are in the basement, in the basement. I got it received. We're in route. The second floor, second floor. We have a bathroom and rear bedroom. Car 5, do we have all the injured officers out of there and in route to the hospital? PFIs, I have the officer on the second floor, Nathan 121, just to confirm, you're on the second floor near the bathroom? The rear bedroom. We have one male handcuffed in front bedroom, female and male in the rear bedroom. Male is still downstairs, actively shooting. Bullock, do me a favor. Back out, uniform. You got SWAT lined up. You are safe up to the first house. Car stand by, please. Nathan 121 is pinned inside on the second floor near the bathroom. They have one male handcuffed in the rear bedroom and a male and a female in the second bedroom. Use caution. Nathan units are still inside the house. One of the officers dropped their gun outside their residence when he got shot. Multiple SWAT and long guns on location radio. Full breach is about to be made. Confirm. One officer trapped second floor, possibly bathroom. Receive. Have all officers maintain a position, front perimeter secure. Unknown for rear, because I'm in the front radio. We got the rear covered in the alley. When SWAT goes in, the officers outside, watch watch your, don't fire. The officers are going to go inside the house. Everybody outside with guns drawn, be careful. The 101 Andy, I'm on location service. See that we have adequate cover for the officers out front. I have about 10 officers aligned about to make entry. Front door, 3716 North 15th Street. I got uh, eight guys I'm, I'm at the door ready to go if you didn't need us to. We have two officers inside the property right now. I'm trying to make contact with them. Huh, copy? They're on the second floor. As soon as you make entry to the first staircase, 
I'm right on the uh, hallway area in the bathroom, which would be to your left. My partner's in the bedroom with a uh, female and male handcuff. There's one male handcuff in the uh, front bedroom. The shooter is still underneath our feet on the uh, first floor, possibly dining room area near the basement. The dining room area. Possible active shooter still inside first floor dining room below the offices on the second floor. Right, listen, this is 15 Victor Andy, right? You know, I'm outside. This is boss. Look, I got a bunch of guys with me. We're all on guns. We're ready to go. Can we get to you safely on the first floor? Got one confirmed officer on the first floor. We got two confirmed second floor, front and rear, with a prisoner up front. Confirmed prisoners in the basement, along with multiple strike force officers. Nathan 121, guys, we're at the front door. Can we make entry to you and secure you safely? Fire from the first floor. Oh, hey, shots fired. 
Get this in, Bearcat, ASAP. K-131, armored vehicles about 5, 10 minutes out. We just pulled off a location. We got six. I got eight-man team coming in armored car. I got day work coming back, but we're coming down from headquarters, sir. They should be five minutes out. I'm getting off at Broad Street right now, myself. Randy, I'm going to help you, sir. We're going to have to move some of these cars. We're going to have to get some of these officers out of here first. We're tucked into the side of the building, so we're good. All right, if he wants to come out, we're going to expose himself. We can take them from here. I need to get some people out of the line of fire, and if possible, I need to get some guys on the east side of the street, either two alley or through the second floor window. How copy? The new helicopter that won't move. Ask him to give us a beat on where these shootings are coming from. All personnel on that front window. Use caution. Sounds like the shooter just ran into the basement. We hear him running through the house. Sounds like he just ran through the back. We hear some banging like towards the back at the rear of the property. Alright, it sounds like he's trying to come off the rear of the property, guys. Standby from the Nathan unit says inside. Sounds like that somebody's trying to come off the back, so use caution. Alright, have all the officers stay undercover. Make sure they're all behind cars by the engine. There's three officers shot at this time. They're in Temple. Shot in the hand, one shot in two arms, and one shot in the head. Charlie, okay. All right, Charlie, we're going to make another move closer to the target. I've got a long gun with me. All the officers stay down. I'm going to be moving. We should get a lot of these officers out of here. I need some help with patrol supervisors. Get these guys out of here. It's chaotic out here. All right, I'm in front of 3727. Butler, I believe 15th. Got a SWAT coming in. Officers hold their locations. Be guided by SWAT. Sam 2 Barney. I got a team back a couple houses down. I need these patrol officers back. I got patrol officers all over the place. Sam 2 Barney, I think I, we're not going to be able to get this armored car in here. There's too many cop cars. 638, where are they coming? And I'll get them moved. Nowhere. You're going to be exposed to fire if you move these cars. Charlie, as officers get switched out, have them holster up. I do not want patrol officers with weapons out running back. Long guns only exposed. Housing 96 X-ray, you got an officer coming down to the broad street. He's uh, shot me on. Mr. Andy, listen to me. We got a majority of the cops out of the line of fire. We got about three or four guys to move. All right, the guy's still on the stairwell shooting through the front window. How copy? 17J, and I have had an officer that shot. She's uh, getting ready to be treated by a rescue at the location now. I need permission. I'm going to have to ram these strike force cars out of the way and get this armor car in front. We need to do it. Can I get permission to do that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do what you got to do. How are you doing inside? I got full ammo ready to go. Are you guys, are you guys talking to the bathroom? My partner's in the rear bedroom. We got two males. One male, one female. Three one, guys. Sit tight. All right. Tuck in tight. We're going to come get you. That's correct. Nathan, um, Nathan 121, I'm talking to him now. He's telling me that the shooter is in the dining room, talking on the phone, talking to himself. Car standby. Per night, Nathan 121, he's on the second floor of the building. He said the, the shooter possibly has something propped up against the stairwell. All right, sir, be advised. I'm with SWAT now. They're assessing. We're still in front of 3725. Uh, he hasn't fired anything within the last 8 to 10 minutes, sir. Tim, I'll go to you for this one. One, for how the radio traffic is being handled, and two, assess the situation for us if you were an officer on the scene. Well, no doubt this is one of those calls as a patrolman you never want to get. 
uh, shots fired, officers down. But the dispatcher, like I said earlier uh, in the show, the dispatcher is going to control that scene with how they act on the radio. And as I listen to this call, I'm pretty disturbed by the uh, excitement in her voice. The, the Her adrenaline's pumping. Uh, she is basically interfering, uh, in my opinion, as a patrolman, uh, with a, a calm communication flow between the officers that are pinned down and, and the officers arriving on the scene. Uh, she interrupts them so many times that I think it becomes chaotic. They don't know. They can't hear. They don't know where each other's at. Uh, they're trying to pinpoint the shooter, and she keeps overriding them and speaking over them uh, almost constantly throughout the whole incident. And and I know uh, the officers uh, inside the house, the ones that were pinned down, they're the calmest of the bunch. Uh, they got their stuff together. They know what they're doing. Uh, it sounds like they probably had some experience and been there before. But that is one of the most important things. Like I said earlier, that dispatcher has to have a calm demeanor on the other side of that radio. Two words come to mind here for the dispatcher. Uh, Shut up. Yeah. (laughs) Let the officer (laughs) have the air to tell you exactly what he needs and then get it to him. Every time that she takes the air, it takes it from him who is in a dire situation. And he's there. And he's, he's there. He's on the scene. And, and yeah, that was uh, unfortunate that that happened. Uh, he was pretty calm in directing the other troops that were coming in. Um, by her doing what she did, he couldn't direct people. Uh, they couldn't hear him. And so as you hear several people throughout the communication – it's mass chaos out here. It's chaotic. We need people to pull back. It's very chaotic. And she didn't help. You know, and I hate saying that because I love dispatchers, but she did not help this incident whatsoever. The thing that I noticed is nobody said anything to her. Well, I mean, that we know about. Well, from the field, it didn't. And right, right. That's what I'm talking about. From yeah. the field end, nobody said, ma'am, can you clear the air until we can get what we need to get yeah. out out here? And nobody did that. And that kind of, that, that was a little amazing to me that, because they'll do it real quick in Metro. Yeah. And, and that, that's the thing with me, you know, it, you know, kind of like you were just saying, I, I hate to, you know, blast on a dispatcher or anything like this, but I mean, she was more excited. It seemed like than the people that were out there getting shot at. And that's, that's hard. That's really hard for me to listen to. And, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say this about a, a fellow dispatcher. It's kind of like, I'm sure it's just like, if you get a, a bad cop out there somewhere, you know, everybody else is, you know, straight arrow, whatever like that. You got a bad apple in the middle of the bunch. I mean, it's going to spoil everybody else. I don't, but you know, at the same time with this, you know, there were, I'll give her a couple times. There was a couple times during it. It seemed like she, you know, kind of relayed some information that she could probably hear better. You know, when the officers were inside and they were kind of whispering on their radios, she was relaying that back to where other officers could hear that's really about the only thing, good thing I can say about that. Well, it, it's definitely a good incident for <clears throat> all parties involved to go back and and dissect uh, for for future uh, incidents that come up like this. I know we had an incident in Nashville where an officer was shot on the interstate, a sergeant, and I was directly involved in, in helping chase these two guys down. They escaped from a prison 
uh, in Mississippi. I was working one of the radios that was on yeah, that day. Yeah, you sure were. And uh, I was a part of the officers that got the vehicle stopped uh, down on Hermitage. Yeah, and, I remember that. And I, I never will forget the dispatcher at the time let us talk because I had a a a a point uh, behind a big concrete barrier where I had a, a clear shot on both of them, me and one of my rookies at the time, and never heard the dispatcher. I was listening to Officer Mann who was talking with the suspect. He was directly behind his car. Yeah. And I could hear I could hear him talking to the suspect, and had I think the dispatcher got on the the radio that day and really muddy things up. Those guys probably would have got shot. Yeah, because that... the 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 incident when when I was there at the beginning, once we stopped the car, there were several of us involved in it. Uh, it was calm. Everybody did their job, and these guys ended up raising their hands and they gave up. And uh, but. I think had we had a dispatcher that just just flooded the airways with all kinds of information, I think things would have got chaotic out there. And and but that's where a dispatcher comes in, like I said earlier, a calm, cool, collected voice on that other line, especially when you're dealing with a lot of young officers on the street. They need they need to hear that somebody on that other end of that console's got their back and that they're they're listening, but they're not interfering. Yeah, that that call I remember it. It went across. It ended up going. Well, I mean, it started out west. Um, it was out. Uh, I mean, pretty deep Bellevue down there. I recall it, and it went through there. Um, it went into Central, and then uh, it went out into Hermitage sector after that, and on Hermitage Avenue. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it went across. And each time, you know, it, it was it was touching different uh, sectors. I'm wanting to say I might have been working Central. I, I mean, I had a small part in it, but I wasn't, you know, the main, the main one. I'm trying to remember who it was that, had, that was actually sitting on West. The biggest problem that we had out of the whole the whole thing, and I'm sure, you know, you on the police side be the same way. We didn't know where he was. I'm wanting to say he was out there uh, working one of the um, the joint task force. Um, yeah, that, joint task force ended up picking him up. Yeah. Well, well, after the shooting occurred, uh, coming back into Nashville because – Every officer on the police department that day uh, had the interstates block. Yeah. We had every side road out of Nashville block. These two guys were not getting out of Nashville. Yeah. N- no shape, form, or fashion. And, uh, and that sergeant that got shot, he and I had gone through the academy together. And so then you, you, you kind of put that personal touch in there that, hey, he just shot one of my guys. Yeah. You know, whether he was in the academy with me or not, it's still very personal because you know that guy, you know his family. And you think, oh no, these guys are not leaving Nashville. Yeah. And and I think collectively with dispatchers from all over the county, police officers and supervisors all over the county, that's that's what led us to catching these guys. Everybody yeah. stayed calm, everybody stayed cool, and we caught them. The problem we had with the you know, I mean, not necessarily a problem. He didn't check out on the traffic stop when he when he stopped initially when he when he got shot. Didn't go out over the air and. I know they're, I, I don't know, um, with you or anybody else in particular, but there used to be this kind of big macho man, why are you checking out on traffic stop for, you know? Well, I mean, that's the perfect example right there. We actually had to find him. Um, I'm wanting to say somebody else was out on the task force with him, um, ended up calling on a cell phone, got him that way. 
and then relayed back to us and, you know, said where it was and everything. That way we get ambulance started. So we didn't know exactly where it was. And that was a, a tense few minutes when we were trying I'm to find I'm sure. Him. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I, you know, of course, as a training officer, that's the very first thing you do is check in on that traffic stop. Um, cause you might not get to two seconds later. Exactly. And we, we try to tell people, you know, cause we luckily now we're having, uh, the, the, uh, trainees come out of the Academy. They send them up there and they actually spend the day with us. Yeah, they need to. Um, and yeah. you know, that's one of the things anybody that sits with me, any of the officers that sit with me, I always tell them, look, give it this way. I said, if you're going to track, check out on this traffic stop, don't give the tag first, give your location. Because if anything, if, if at that very second you get shot or something like that, we at least know where to send help. Exactly. We can figure the rest out later on. I mean, we may or may not get the suspect, but we can't get you back if, if we don't know where you are. You know, so. Look, I can understand a dispatcher being hyped up about this type of a situation, but I trained one once that had a real bad habit of telling people to stand by, stand yeah. by, stand by. Look, if if you've got something to tell him or her in the field, then tell them, okay? And if they have something to tell you, unless there's a really good reason why you can't listen to it, go ahead and, and let them tell you. Because when you tell them to stand by, and then you don't go back to them to find out what it was that they needed, they'll never stand by again. And yeah. in this particular situation, I had jumped her about that and all of a sudden the radio got real quiet and she just kind of sat back in the chair and she said, it sure has gotten quiet. I says, well, hell, I guess it has. You've got the whole field out there standing by and you're, and you're not going, yeah. and you're not going back to anybody. I mean, in this situation where you've got people, uh, pinned down, uh, and you, and you've got other officers that's needed on the scene to, to, to bring this to a, a safe conclusion, you don't have time for that stuff. Now, in this situation here, uh, police were serving a narcotics warrant at the house, which is in the northern part of Philly. Now, the thug, uh, Maurice Hill, he shot six police officers uh, during that standoff. Now, he was taken to the hospital, wah, wah, for treatment because police had used tear gas, and I'm sure his little eyes were burning or something. Uh, it was a miracle. I'm telling you, an absolute miracle that none of those officers were killed. You heard one of them on there had been shot in the head. Uh, he had two sons. He had suffered a graze wound, and, and all, thank God, were released from the hospital. Uh, an attorney, Shaka Johnson, said that uh, Hill had called him during the time he was barricaded in the house uh, and what he wanted to do was figure out a way without any further violence coming to anyone or himself uh, getting out of there. Uh, well, you know, if the dumbass had complied with police at the beginning, there wouldn't have been all that drama for him to have had to have called the attorney. Uh, when the attorney arrived at the house, uh, he was allowed to wear body armor and approach the house with the officers. He basically told him on the phone while he was approaching to come out, put the phone down, don't come out with any weapons, and put your hands up. Just everyday common sense. Uh, the attorney also said that he will most likely be charged with six counts of attempted murder along with aggravated assault 
and other counts. So he's got some he's got some serious trouble down the line. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Well, last week we left y'all guys a little high and dry. We usually try to leave you with something a little bit funny, but uh, this the last episode it, it just it drained us both. It was uh, so hard to listen to. It was so hard to get through. Uh, think about all the things that we've had happen to us in the past. It just brought up so many memories. So we kind of cut y'all short last week because uh, we just we simply couldn't come up with anything really funny and it, it just it, it wasn't a good time for it so this week we do have something we can uh, pull out here so uh, Beasley what you got for us well keeping with the Elvis theme being that we've got him here with us tonight now good lord this this had to have happened better than two decades ago at least <laughs> yeah at least <laughs> old Judge Mondelli was on the bench down in traffic court and an officer friend of ours who has passed that, that I've discussed here before, the one that got shot at Woolco mm-hmm. uh, back when he first came on the uh, police department, him and Elvis and me was down at traffic court. And we're all setting up front. And, of course, the, the judge is calling the defendants up there for, you know, simple traffic violations. And Tim, this was in his early days. So, man, he's he's got that hair slicked back. You know, he's, he's looking like the king. Some hair gel. Yeah, got, yeah. got, got that hair gel going. Now, this, this is what you've got to do. Now, now, put yourself here. Traffic court, you're standing before the judge as the defendant, and then you see this officer get up. Now, we all know what Elvis used to do. You know how he used to stick that thumb and that pinky out on both, on both hands, you oh, know, yeah. as he, on both uh, arms as he was gesturing? Well, that's what he did. He stands up, and and then he he put, he's in full police uniform here, and he pulls his collar up. So he's got his collar up, and <laughs> the judge, of course, as a prosecutor, you've got to put forth your case first. And he stands up there. He's got his got his collar up, and he says, "Later on, well, this is the way I went down here." And then <laughs> and. And I think Ricky's the one that pulled my collar up when I went up there. So I, I had to put that on me. I had to be in character when I went up there. Oh man, I'm telling you, it was. Good. I mean, who who has Elvis to prosecute him in traffic court? I mean, <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, that that's not something that happens every day. Yeah, and, I said, Yana, I said, Yana, uh, this man here, he run a red light. <laughs> <laughs> and, and believe me. This podcast is not something that you hear every week either. I mean, this is this has been a lot of fun tonight, Tim. We really appreciate you coming by, man. This is this has it's been, been a lot my of, honor to be here. It, it talk has, about my dad, my background, and my past police work. It's been it's truly been an honor. Yeah, and it's good to get back with you again. I mean, the last time that that you and I uh, saw each other was at you know uh, Officer Underwood's funeral when he passed of natural causes. Mm-hmm. And you know it was a it was kind of a, a a real solemn moment then. So we got to you know get with each other tonight and have a better time. And of course, Brandon, you know he dispatched to you when sure uh, did. When, and when I, you were out I, the field. I I tell people all the time about about dispatchers. Uh, you guys can save our life. You save our life uh, on a daily basis. Is a teacher. You're you're a teacher behind the console trying to figure out where we're at, what we're doing, and keeping. Uh, chaos from occurring most of the time and uh, so i tell these young officers on the street listen to your dispatcher communicate with your dispatcher they're your lifeblood 
Well, we really appreciate it. And, yeah, we and, do. And the whole time that, that, that you were out in the field, I never heard a derogatory word said about you, about the way you treated people. I mean, you you treated people uh, as good as they would let you treat them. Sure. And, and, and went that extra mile. And there's police officers, you know, we know that that work all across this country and around the world that do that same thing every day. Every and, day, every day. And we appreciate y'all as well, and God bless all of you. And, again, we really appreciate you coming by tonight. Do uh, you have any parting words of wisdom, or can you even top what we've, <laughs> what we've done? No, there, there's no topping this. I, uh, something like this, you get to, like, I've been there for 20 years, and, you know, between these two guys sitting next to me, I mean, that's you know, 26 years, 40 years. I mean, and going way back and everything, it, it's just, it's way more than I got. I mean, <laughs> I got, I can't compare it to it. So, no. All right. Well, we're out of here and uh, stay tuned for the next episode of Music City 911. Take care, guys. We'll see you.